That will work just fine. All right. Let me ask you a question with that thought in mind, Dave. Um, Who is going to be there because of you? Who's going to be in heaven because of you? Who's going to be able to say, I can only imagine because of you? Now, don't take that as a guilt trip because I don't like guilt trips and you don't like guilt trips. I always, listen, I, I, it's amazing. I have the unique ability to feel guilty about things I'm not even guilty of. So, so I don't believe in guilt trips. I, mean, I really don't. But, but I do want to be an encouragement. You know, who will be in heaven because of what God has done in my life and me sharing that um, with them? Now, that ties right in with the message tonight. It really, really does. And, and believe it or not, hang on to your seats. Guess where we're going tonight? Yes, John chapter 11. I hope by the time we finish next week, which actually is John chapter 12, by the way, um, but I hope you've really got a new understanding of some truths from John chapter 11, and I hope you'll be able to recall those and apply those to your life. But as I was studying for this morning's message, um, one of the commentaries made a few words of a comment and just really jumped off the page at me, and it really, really, I said, you know, that is really something. So, Lord willing, we're going to look tonight and see um, what a privilege we have in having the opportunity. Now, listen now. Don't you don't you nod off to sleep. I know it's been a long day. But see how we can have a part in someone being able to say, I can only imagine. And because of that. And by the way, there's the only imagine on the horror side, too. I mean, heaven's wonderful, but hell's awful. And, and there will be people who cannot imagine. There was, I heard this line from someone uh, recently, an actual word, not in a movie, used in a movie set, saying that, that you know, this had to be hell on earth. And there is no hell on earth. There's nothing on earth that's more horrible than eternity separated from God and a burning lake of fire. There's, it's just not there. It's just not there. So hell is awful. And some people say, I can't imagine how awful hell is. We get to wonder and imagine how wonderful heaven is and the opportunity to help people be there. Here's what we want to do. In the story of John chapter 11, um, starting at the last part, and that's for time's sake more than anything else, obviously you can see in John chapter 11 a beautiful picture of what God does in the lives of men, spiritually. You, you can see death and you can see life, and if you don't have to look too deep or scratch the surface too deep, to see what God has already done in the lives of people spiritually and what he did in the life of Lazarus. You don't have to look deep. And you don't have to look too deep to see that there's two or three things that we get to do, and there's at least one thing that God gets to do. So what we're going to spend our time tonight on is looking how God has placed us in the process of helping people come to the phrase where they can say, I can only imagine not how awful hell is, but how wonderful heaven is. Now, the first thing we need tonight, obviously, is a dead person. Okay? Now, the Bible says in John eleven seventeen. I chose this one. Uh, there are several times it's mentioned. But in John eleven seventeen, once again, we read these words. When Jesus arrived, and that's arrived in Bethany, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for days. So we have a situation requiring divine intervention. There is no doctor that's going to help Lazarus. Can I have an Amen. There, there's, no, there's no psychiatrist that's going to help him overcome this, this mental state that he has because it's not a mental state, it's a dead state. So, so we have a situation that requires the action of God. We have a dead man. And remember now, not only is he dead, he's stinking dead. 
He is thinking that he is four days dead. He is four days. He is beyond any hope of recitation. And by the way, let, let, let me say that too, because one of the commentators made a point I thought was pretty good. Sometimes we make points for just making points. But you know, the word, when we talk about resurrection in the Bible, generally speaks about a person uh, uh, raised from the dead never to die again. Lazarus had to die again. Okay, amen? Come on, come on. I need your participation tonight. Okay, so Lazarus had to die again. So in one, it, it doesn't work. They, they use the word uh, recitation. Uh, well, anyway, you bring them you know, back to life, that you know, recitation. You know, and, and that's not really strong enough either. So we're going to use resurrection. But understand, Lazarus was brought back from the dead, but he had to die again. So he's stinking dead. He's four days dead. Now, we need to understand this. The deader, the better. The deader, the better. For miracle purposes, the deader, the better. Now, Lazarus had no idea he was dead. When he stopped breathing, he lost the conscious effect. Mary knew he was dead. Martha knew he was dead. Jesus knew he was dead. All his friends knew he was dead. But Lazarus didn't know he was dead. So we need a dead guy. All right? Now, in Ephesians, now y'all want to play Bible study tonight? That's fine. I'll read these scriptures to you, and then you can, you can follow along. Either one. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 says this. You know, I think that's... Is that Ephesians 2? I think it's Ephesians 2. Check me out on that. You'll see where I'm fixing to go. And you... Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, I'm almost positive. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sin. So, understand, in the process of finding people that, that can only imagine, we need dead people. And the Bible says that the world is filled with those who are spiritually dead. Say amen. amen. One time you were spiritually dead. You were separated from God. There was nothing you could do about it. There was nothing your preacher could do about it. There was nothing that your psychiatrist could do about it. There's nothing a seven-step program could do for you, a 12-step program. There was nothing you could do. You were spiritually dead. And Paul goes on and continues saying, in which you once walked according to the course of this air. He's talking to Ephesians who have been saved. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So Paul describes here how a dead spiritual person, a spiritually dead person looks. And listen, listen. We are surrounded by spiritually dead people. We have got to be able to see dead men walking. We have got to reach a point in our lives when we start seeing the spiritual condition of every person. And we look for one of the evidence of, not always, but some of the evidences of a spiritually dead person might be their conduct. It might be their attitudes. It may be their values. It may be how they perceive God. But just like you could look at Lazarus, his body was decaying, you could say Lazarus was dead. Also, we then need to look around us and recognize spiritually dead people. Because spiritually dead people don't go to heaven, they go to hell. Are y'all going to say amen or not? I mean, if y'all were to go home, we ain't going to do it anyway, so it doesn't matter. Ha, ha, ha. All right? So, so, so we have to learn to look around us and see spiritually dead people. Because eternity is a long, long, long time to be in hell. All right, so we have a dead people. We have dead people around us. Now, we have our part. 
And our part is twofold. Removing the stone and exercising faith. Removing the stone and exercising faith. Let's see how it plays out in John chapter 11. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus, angry in himself again. And we talked about that anger was anger not at at the people, not at Martha, not at Mary, not at those people. He was angry at Satan. He was angry at sin. He was angry at death. Then Jesus, angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and it was a stone. Can you imagine, by the way, knowing that was going to be you in about three weeks? That's where Jesus was. He was going to be buried in a cave. They're going to roll a stone in front of him. All this he foreknew. He, he foreknew all of this. And he says, remove the stone. And Jesus said, Martha, uh, Jesus said, Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. By now he stinks. It's been four days. It's beyond all hope. You've done it the same day. You've done it later in the same day. But you've not, you don't understand. Tradition says, superstition says, past day number two, going to day number three, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. And then Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. The stone represents the hindrance or the blockage from the person coming back to life. The the stone represents what's blocking the person from coming back to life. Unless, listen, unless they remove the stone, Lazarus could never come out of the grave. If you will, removing the stone was the pathway to life. And brothers and sisters, we are, in a sense, the pathway to life. But not only that, Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I tell you that if you would believe, you would see the glory? If Martha said, I'm sorry, Jesus, I know who you are, but I simply don't believe you can do it, Lazarus would have been stuck behind the stone. But because they believed, the Bible says, they removed the stone, their part. See, Romans chapter 10, in verse number 14, says this. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. How is the person that lives next to you, the person you work with, the person in Haiti, the person in Africa, the person in the Middle East, how are they going to to come to life if the stone's in the way? If they don't hear the gospel, how can they receive the gospel? If if the pathway is not open by, by those of us who are the hands and feet of Jesus, how are they going to be saved? Paul said, how can they hear? How can they hear without a preacher? And how can the person preach unless they are sent? Brothers and sisters, we get the privilege of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our purpose is not to save people. Our purpose is to tell people. And listen, ignorance and lack of knowledge is the stone. And we who have experienced God's marvelous grace, we are to be the hands, the feet, and the mouthpiece of Jesus and share the good news, the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We remove the stone of not knowing. But you've got to exercise faith. Martha said, Martha said, he stinks. It's hopeless. And your neighbor, how many times have you said your neighbor's hopeless? How many times have you said your husband's hopeless? How many times have you said your, your wayward child is hopeless? 
How many times have you said that your friend down the road, your, your Aunt Susie, who's 93 years old and has rejected Christ, how many times have you said, it's hopeless? And how many times has Jesus said, if you believe, you can see? If you believe, you can see. The question becomes, are we willing, are we ready to remove the stone? Are we ready and willing to remove the obstacle, which is not knowing, which is ignorance to the gospel, and share with them the good news of the gospel? When are we going to stop making decisions for people and determine that they won't make a decision so we won't share? 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God, who through Christ, who by Christ, Reconciled us to himself and gave us, gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He said this, your job is to remove the stone. Your job is to share the ministry. Your job is to share the gospel, the ministry of reconciliation. You're to go and you're to share, you're to tell. My job is to save. Somebody didn't get around to saying Wednesday night that I wish I would have said, but never quite got it out of my mouth. And so often, we are hesitant to pray boldly because we think, what if God doesn't answer prayers? We think He should. We're going to look like a failure. When we pray, God, this is our desire, but we pray according to your will, that your will be done, whether God heals or doesn't heal, listen, that's up to God. We are not a failure when we pray in faith, in the name of Jesus Christ, for God's will to be done. And we are never a failure when we share the gospel of Christ. When we've been given this ministry of reconciliation and we share and we tell whether the person gets saved or not, I'm telling you, we are not a failure. I don't even want to say we're a failure then, but, but if you want to feel like, well, I, well, I, when do I feel like a failure? You feel like a failure if you never opened your mouth. When you really won't share the gospel. Somebody said, well, it's not my thing. It's not your, no, that's not true. It is your thing. Because last time I checked, Matthew chapter 28, Acts chapter 1, is not for preachers and deacons only. It's for every one of us who's been given us the ministry of reconciliation. And there are people in your circle that you can reach and no one else probably can the way you can. He goes on and says this. That is, in Christ Jesus, or excuse me, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. I love this. Not counting their trespasses against them. In this, God was reconciling the world. How? By not counting their trespasses against them. And entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Our job is to open the pathway for them to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. By telling and by sharing. If we fail in that, that blockage remains there. And again, it may be going to a strange part of the world or maybe going next door. It may be having the boldness to share with your family or a stranger you meet at McDonald's. But the bottom line is, our part is to move the stone. Our part is to have faith that God can do what he said he can do. And that is, he can save people. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? Isn't that good? So you want to be a stone mover? Are you willing to roll the stone away? Are you willing to clear the way for God to do his work? You know, clearly, clearly Jesus said, you know, no one comes to the Father except by me. And he also said that, that no one comes to me unless the Father draw them. 
Well, again, as Je- that's father, are you willing to move that stone so God can do his drawing work? Are you ready to move that stone so God can do his calling work? We need stone movers, folks. We need people willing to roll the stone away. Then, God does his part. What does that look like? Look at verse 41 in John chapter 11. And this is God's part. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I say this so they may believe you sent me. You know, Jesus prays to the Father. And he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come, come out. And the dead man came out. God's business is raising people from the dead. That's not your job. God's not called you to raise people from... That would be a challenge, wouldn't it? I know because I preach to some every week. <laughs> Just kidding. That would be a challenge. But God never said that. God never looked at Martha and said, Okay, Martha, he's your brother. You do something. Hey, you've got a tongue. You holler, Lazarus, come. What if Martha cried out, Lazarus, come forth? It wouldn't happen. Unless, of course, God wanted, but that's not what the plan was. No, it wouldn't work. God's work is resurrection. Here's what it looks like spiritually. Ephesians 2, 4. But God. Don't you like the but gods in the Bible? Come on. But God. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Doesn't he love us a lot? Even when we were dead in trespasses. Now look at your neighbor, and they're dead. They were dead, excuse me. G looked at John and said, I know. (laughs) 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 Moving on. (laughs) But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It is God's business of spiritually resurrecting people. We don't know. We don't know. Our job's to tell. And our job is to faithfully share the gospel. And as God woos and calls, that person has the choice to say yes. We're not in the pick and choosing business. We're simply to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, just like we were made alive so they can be made alive. Come on, amen? Isn't that just cool? He, verse 6, he raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Trophies of grace. It's God's job. God's job is to woo men and call men and to resurrect spiritually men and to save men and women and children and make them trophies of grace that forever and ages to to sing how great is our God. For ages to come, we will be trophies of grace 
As we are in heaven and we lie in the halls of heaven, we will shout forever of the grace of God. Isn't that cool? Doesn't that ring your bell? How cool. See, that's, that's what I'm saying. See, if the guy who is going to resurrect in a few weeks says Lazarus come forth, it's a done deal. When the, when the person is greater than death, it's a done deal. God has the ability to resonate, resurrect dead people, including us. And many of us tonight have been, perhaps all of us, have been resurrected spiritually by God's power. It's God's part. So our, we need dead people, and they're all around us. We just need to recognize the walking dead. We need to see people as either alive eternally or dead eternally. Our part is to remove the stone, to overcome hopelessness, to exercise faith. His part is to resurrect them. And then comes lastly to our part again. Look what he says. So the man came out bound, the dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a loincloth, or in a cloth, excuse me. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. There's our part. Now you understand by the way, I didn't, again, I didn't get this out. There's so much, there's just so much. You know, if he truly was decaying, and he was after four days, not only God resurrected his body, God restored his body. I'm not sure what point he stopped stinking, but probably when Jesus said, come forth, he came back to life. His body was restored and resurrected and came out. Now, now God can do anything, Trace. God can do anything, including he could have simply said, Great clothes, come off. He could have. But he did. These three things, he involved the people in the miracle. Remove the stone. I said if you believe, let him go. God chose to involve us in the miracle. We get to have a part in the miracle. And if you've ever had a part in someone receiving Jesus Christ, if you've ever seen someone that you had just a part in sharing the gospel with be baptized, you know I'm talking about the, the, the wonderful thing of seeing someone become new and alive in Jesus Christ. So the dead man, wrapped in his, globe, his great clothes, comes hopping out, and Jesus says basically, take off the grave clothes. It's something Lazarus couldn't do by himself. He needed a little personal help. Now, clearly the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, you remember what it says? Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Just like Lazarus went from being a dead human to a live human, so we, when we are born again, are made new creations. But we're not perfect. If you're sitting there tonight and you say, well, no, no, no. When I got saved, I got perfect. No, you got confused. You got confused. We don't become perfect. In fact, you know, really, in fact, one of the dangers we have as believers, you know, we who've done this a while, we somehow think that when a person gets saved, when it says they're a new creation, that means every bad habit's gone. And we, when we hear them out in the store somewhere and they're saying a cuss word, we go, oh, I thought he got saved. Yeah, he did. But he's still being sanctified. In fact, you're still being sanctified. In fact, your pastor is still being sanctified. 
There are some grave cloths that some of us are still taking off. But we are new creations. We are made brand new. Now, one of the things, it's just a natural tendency. It's, it's a, it's, yes, it is a downhill slide. And we've seen it over and over again, and we're trying to overcome it in these latter days, and that is the performance-based gospel. Even if we have experienced grace, we somehow think we have to perform to gain God's favor. Wrong, wrong, wrong. That is just so unscriptural, it's ridiculous. You know, again, you're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's the gift of God. You know, Paul wrote an incredible letter to the Galatian church, talking about it. And we're going we're to hit a couple of scriptures in Galatians a little bit later on in the year. But, but listen to this. And that's not what I meant. <laughs> listen, this is Galatians 3. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Oh, read the book. I don't know. <laughs> for the mean, listen, listen. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you've seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? And the answer is no. Did you become a believer by obeying the law? No, you did not. Of course not, Paul says. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Wow. In this century we're living in the latter part of this century, beginning of this century, and the last century, we have, that is us. Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own effort? God, if I, if I can just, boy, if I can be really good, I just know you're going to smile on me. You're going to bless me. Listen, listen, you and God, by God's grace, are related and you're fine. He does not need your performance for you to be finer. Did he do it halfway when he saved you? No. You were saved by grace and saved well. Amen? And saved well. So he says, you foolish Galatians. Who's, who's, who bewitched you? I think King James says. Who bewitched you? How is it that you experience God's grace and you want back this crazy law thing which you cannot keep? You are saved by the blood of Jesus, not by human effort. Now here's the deal. The natural inclination in this society particularly is to slowly go down. As you learn to do better and better and better, is rely less on grace and more on performance. And when you start seeing people who don't perform as you, as well as you, you go, ha ha, I'm better than you because I perform better than you. And we become rock-chucking, judgmental believers. We just do. And, and when Paul, when, when Jesus said, take off the grave clothes, take off those grave with these new believers and old believers, that we got to be careful we don't slide down into the law. Because we're free from the law. We're free from the law by God's amazing grace. 
And I'm telling you, look at me. You're going to have to fight this. You are going to have to fight this. Because the natural inclination is to perform, to perform, to perform so God will like you. Good news. God already likes you a lot. You can't get him to like you more by doing better. You are saved by grace. We got to tell people that. We got we to help unwrap people. You know, you got to gently help people. You got to unwrap them from the grave clothes. The grave clothes of law and performance and all that. You got to do it. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, the writer of Hebrews puts it just a little different way. Actually, a whole different way, but the same truth. Let us hold fast. This is Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Stir up one another. Might do some unwrapping. To stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Not because, you know, not because we, ought, we ought to go to church but because we get to go to church. Okay? And not to go to church so God will go, you went to church today. That's great. No! Man, this morning was so encouraging to me as a pastor. I can't get over it. When that many people find their way and choose to worship at our church, that is like an incredible wow factor. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That's all. Just thank you, God. And God, I'm glad you sent that many to that church and that many to that church. It's not like we got a corner of the market, but thank you, God. For just blessing us and blessing us and blessing us. So not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see in that scripture anywhere? That's not encouragement, that's badgering. You know, when we learn to love people. Love God and love people. You'll be amazed how much easier it is to get the gray clothes off. You know, one of my favorite stories is I had someone who was preaching to someone. And I finally said, when you stop preaching and start praying, you might see a change. And guess what? There was. There was. One more. Galatians 6, 9. So we must not get tired of doing good. Okay. So he's been dead one day. There's hope. So he's been dead two days. There's hope. He's been dead day three. It's a stretch. But there's hope. Day four, game over. It's hopeless. He's dead. Again, we must not get tired of doing good. Don't stop praying for your husband. Don't stop praying for your wife. Don't stop praying for your children. Don't stop praying for your neighbor. Don't stop giving to missions. Don't stop going on missions. Don't stop being a missionary just because it seems hopeless. Because either Philippians 4.13 is true or it's not. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think Luke 1, 24, I'm going to wag that. With God, the angel said to a virgin, with God, 
all things are possible. So we must not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give in. Therefore, as we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, we must work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. You know, if you see me walking around, Dave, and there are some gray clothes on me, help me get them on. Gently. Because, you know what's amazing? Some people like gray clothes. Makes them feel kind of comfortable. You know, they kind of like it. You know, I've got a pair of jeans that Jesus forbid me to wear off the property. Okay. They don't look very good, but boy, are they comfortable. I like mine. I would tell you a story, but I can't. Because it involves underwear. Okay, I'm going to tell you. It's Easter. I went to Africa one time. I came back, and Judy had thrown away all my underwear. She said it was old. No, it was great! But it was gone. Some people like their great clothes. We like the things that we feel comfortable in, even if they're harmful. Especially do good, especially for those who belong to the household. Know any dead people? Mary, know any dead people? Got some dead people in your world? See, that's, by the way, that's crucial. It's very, again, in this crazy culture we live in, it's awful easy to, to surround us with alive people. We, we feel weird. If we hang around dead people, we feel weird. But Jesus constantly hung around dead people. So do you have any dead people in your world? Do you have friends who do not know Jesus Christ? Have you intentionally started relationships with dead people with the intent of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? Are, are you willing to do your part? Will you be a stone mover? Will you be willing to take up the ministry of reconciliation? Will you believe by faith? Jesus said, if you believe, you'll see. Are you willing to be a person of faith and believe that with God all things are possible? That no dead people are beyond the reaches of God's grace. Will you trust God to do His part? His job is resurrection. His job is taking those who are spiritually dead and making them alive. That's not your job, nor my job. Our job is simply to tell. And then are we willing to help get the gray clothes off? Are we willing to unwrap people from their gray clothes? Are we help willing to be helpers in the process of sanctification. When God in us, when God in His sovereignty chose us, and I'm not sure why, but when God chose to make us partners in His ministry of reconciliation, there was no greater honor than to be ambassadors for Him. The way was made clear. Lazarus came out. A wonderful ending to a great story. And there are so many stories waiting to be written in the lives of people that we know. Let's bow our heads in prayer. God's part, our part. Will we find, recognize dead people, spiritually dead people? Are we willing to do our part and be a stone mover and a person of faith? Are we willing to trust God that He'll do His part Are we willing to help people take off the grave clothes?
God, thank you. It's amazing to me that you trusted this with us. I mean, you could have used angels. You could have chosen to use incredible miracles. And you do that, by the way. I know that. But you chose to involve us, just like you did at that, la- that grave with Lazarus. How awesome is that? So God, thank you for the high calling. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of the gospel of grace. As we celebrate this day of resurrection, make us mindful as we leave this building tonight that our world will involve those who are spiritually dead. Help us to see. Help us to believe. Help us to do our part. Believe in you'll do yours. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.